Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess. I think really the underlying factor to youth injuries is overuse and uh, overdevelopment. You have to have recovery time, and we try to impart that on our, our kids by designing their, their schedules. Welcome, Dr. Rubas. Thanks for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. This is exciting. Absolutely. All right. So today we have Dr. Rambod Rubash, who is originally from Portland, Oregon. He currently resides in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, where he is the uh, residency program director for family medicine and as well as a practicing family medicine physician. Dr. Rubash, glad to have you. Uh, thank you for bringing your wealth of knowledge to us. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's, uh, it's exciting to be here. I appreciate the kind introduction. Yeah. So I met Dr. Rubash originally. He's also a team physician, uh, primary care team physician. We met covering uh, football games when I first moved here. Um, but you've also covered some professional level soccer uh, sports, right? Yeah. So um, my uh, my background in, in sport was most uh, developed in soccer. It wasn't my favorite sport, but it was a sport that they allowed me to keep playing beyond a certain age. I had dreams of being a Portland Trailblazer once upon a time, and um, <laughs> that didn't seem to work out. I played a game once against Damon Stoudemire, who was about my same height. And I thought, well, if he can do it, well, turns out he lit me up for, I don't know, 30, 40. And I realized it's not in the cards for me. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, I played uh, soccer in college and then um, in Portland where, where I was practicing. My uh, career arc actually is um, after I finished my family medicine residency, I came out to Laurel uh, for the first time in 2004 and stayed here for four years and went back to Portland in 2008. And when I went back to Portland, I think 2010, um, we got our MLS team, the Portland Timbers, and I was asked to be their primary care team physician. So I worked with them in their inaugural years before moving back to Mississippi in 2013, coming right back to Laurel. And um, the the salient part of that saga is, um, in a nutshell, I thought um, I'd wanted my boys to grow up here more than I would want them to grow up where I grew up in Portland. I just thought it was a really nice place to raise kids. And as it turns out, it has been great. And ironically, um, or maybe a sense of providence, some would say, um, I think they're actually probably getting the best soccer training they can in all of America right here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So uh, that's all worked out really nicely. So tell me about um, this Southern State Soccer Club that you're involved with. This is really <laughs> what I'm passionate about. You know, yeah. the medicine is kind of mundane, but in, in soccer in America, um, I realize now that it is a modern miracle that we even have had any chance of a competition at the world stage. And that's probably because we have 360 million people and, you know, uh, good opportunities for recreation. But in now that I understand what the rest of the world is doing in terms of training, we never really had a chance. And, and, and I can speak to my own experience. By the time I finished college, I was at the highest level I could play at at that time in America. And my trajectory was I played in the local youth, um, daddy, mommy coached uh, leagues. And then if you were good enough, you got selected for like a travel type league of some kind, a select type league around fifth, sixth grade. Again, coached by a random daddy, mommy. And then you get old enough to play school sports. And then you get coached by maybe um, a teacher that has some soccer experience. And then you're off and you're supposed to be, you know, a collegiate player and a semi-professional player. What they do in the rest of the world, I now realize, is very different. So our sports, especially the American sports, um, meaning the sports that 
exclusively Americans traditionally played like football and basketball at the highest levels are really run by cartels. And these are almost communistic entities that say, here's our club. Um, in order to join it, you have to pay your way in. And then once you are a member of the club, we will share all the revenue and we will kind of compete amongst each other. And they don't really have any mechanism for development of the younger player except for Major League Baseball, which kind of dips down into, um, you know, drafting kids out of high school and, you know, developing them in their minor league system. But in European soccer, in Latin American soccer, every little club out there has a professional side to it. And so they'll start with the little kids, six, seven, eight years old. And if you're good enough, you'll ascend within your own club to becoming a professional player at the highest level that they go at. And if you're good enough, they will sell your rights to a bigger, a more prosperous team who will then again, ascend, ascend, ascend. So all of these professional teams, Barcelona, Manchester United, I mean, the city of London has like 24 professional teams and every kid in England that plays youth soccer plays for one of these professional clubs. So what that means is they start grooming you from the time you are of that age to play their particular style of soccer with the same curriculum that their head coach for the senior team uses, and they develop you along this pathway. And if they are a wealthy enough club, they'll keep you and then you'll be their 15, 16 year old phenom and you'll have a actual monetary value. So very capitalistic in the rest of these, these countries, which is ironic because from a governmental standpoint, they're socialist but from sport, super cutthroat capitalistic. So the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to have the good players, the more likely you are to ascend to the top leagues. And then once you ascend into these top leagues, you can plummet all the way down. They have something called ascension or relegation. So you can be promoted or promotion and relegation. You can be promoted from your local, you know, Laurel League all the way up to the MLS if this was in England. And conversely, the Portland Timbers, if they don't perform well, they will be relegated down levels and levels and levels, and there's no real bottom for them. So like a farm system almost. Exactly. But you start out from the very core basis. So this is what we were competing with with the rest of the world. So here in Hattiesburg, we've had the good fortune of having William Carey University, who um, has a, a collegiate soccer program. And they hired a guy named Nigel Bolton, who's from Wales, to be their head coach, um, I don't know, about 15, 20 years ago now. And Nigel had the insight to figure out that he can get better players from England and Europe to come over and play college. And he was likely to recruit good American players to Hattiesburg. So he went over to England and the kids that were in these professional uh, teams that probably weren't going to ascend to the senior level team by the time they were 16, 17, they would be told this really early on. He would go and say, hey, come to America. You can have a scholarship, play over here and be on your path to becoming an American citizen, should you wish. And so these guys would come over, become all Americans here. Some of them would stay on and um, become American citizens. But also um, Hattiesburg had the insight to take this group of European trained players and also have them be their youth coaches at Hattiesburg Youth Soccer. Mm. So they populated all of um, youth soccer with these kind of um, uh, quasi-professional European trained coaches, which was great. Um, and then um, five years ago now, almost six years ago now, Nigel and one of his um, All-American players, Carl Reynolds, who decided he wanted to devote his life to be a coach, 
they decided they wanted to make it a true European academy system with one director of coaching with a curriculum that's designed um, to be um, continuous, kind of like your school education. You get something when you're a seven-year-old that's different than the thing you get at a 17-year-old, but it's meant to be iterative and add upon itself. Very rarely can you jump into the curriculum had you not had it before and ascend up. And um, they wanted to do it in the European style. So they started this new club, Southern State Soccer. And the reason um, why it doesn't have kind of a, uh, uh, a Hattiesburg name or a local name is because half our club pre-COVID was actually from Birmingham, Alabama and other places. The kids come up from the coast. The kids come down from Meridian. Um, it's really kind of a regional draw. But the real um, main benefit of it is it's continuous education by one um, curriculum, not changing from year to year, depending on what daddy coach or what mommy coach you have and designed to build the athlete to become the best player. And because we're not in a ascension or relegation or promotion kind of situation, they don't really care about wins and losses. The only thing they care about is developing an excellent player. So that, I mean, has been transformative in regards to the teaching. I mean, my little boys, I mean, skill-wise, I've never seen anything like this at the levels that I played at. I mean, and all the kids, I mean, they just have a knowledge base and a vocabulary and a skill set that I never saw in America at any level. And, you know, I, I can speak to my teammates that I played with in, in high school even. I mean, I had the Gatorade National Player of the Year on my high school team. We had several division one and like me division three collegiate soccer players at the highest levels um, and we had a four-year starter at stanford a four-year starter at unc and these little kids are better than all those kids i ever played with all of them every every single one of them and now i realize why we never could compete uh, our kids just didn't have the education so you mentioned that you're not uh, really concerned with wins and losses, which is huge in youth sports now so this is more of a like you said a training academy we bring you in with hopes of working you through the system. And we know that you might lose as a nine or 10 year old, but by the time you're 15, 16, you've learned our way to play. Exactly, because we have essentially one czar of coaching and um, you're not going to be promoted as a coach if you have more wins or be relegated if you have more losses. We really care about the development of the athlete, which means that if you have a precocious kid who's not being challenged on age, we have the luxury of moving them up. I mean, sometimes the kids will move up two, three, four age groups. And we also conversely have a kid, if they need to have some remedial training, we'll play down with the younger kids. And it's all about the development of the 16, 17, 18 year old. Uh, we don't so much care what happens in some tournament in you know Biloxi as a 12 year old. I mean, those aren't badges of honor. And to be honest, in soccer, where one goal is the equivalent of like four touchdowns or 15 or 20 points in basketball, you can win a lot of games and not play the right way for development. If you, you know, take a goalkeeper and boot it up to your forward and give them a 50-50 chance of, you know, going against the defender, you know, and uh, you get by them and you score a goal, you may win that game, but nine other kids never touch the ball. Nine other kids never had a chance for development. And when you play for development, you play out of the back. So you play where the goalie doesn't boot it. The goalie rolls it out to his defenders. Those defenders have to find a way to get it up to the midfield, who have to find a way to attack with the forwards. And when you're young, you lose a lot of games playing that way because not everybody is yet developed to um, 
attain that skill. And, I, and I'll uh, give you a case example of my um, now 12 year old when he first joined a, as an eight year old and we were playing out of this way. The first game that we had in a tournament in Birmingham, we lost 10 zero to this team out of Nashville. And, you know, we couldn't get it out of the back. I mean, the goalkeeper was told to roll it out to the, the back line and the back line couldn't get past these really athletic forwards from this Nashville team. And they just took it from us. And we barely even touched the ball. One year later, we played that same team, beat them 2-0. They never even touched the ball. And those parents were coming over to us like, what in the heck <laughs> happened? So it's uh, it requires an education. I didn't know this. I mean, uh, it was really a paradigm shift for me. And it makes me realize that if we did this for all sport, we could really develop the athlete better. And I think this is what you're seeing now with the European and the South American basketball players coming over. They're being trained in that same soccer academy system, whether it's Tony Parker or Nicholas Batum or Boris Diaw and all these great French players who have come from a really small country and they've dotted all over in the NBA. They're being trained in that same system, Manu Ginobili coming out of Argentina. So you're going to have really excellent players coming from other parts of the uh, the world because they're going to get trained in the same sort of um, academy system like the, you know, the Gasol brothers who came out of the Barcelona athletic club, which is the same athletic club that runs the Barcelona football club. So they, they use the exact same systems, including they take kids and they go to school at the club. So they have their, you know, four hours of classes, then they have four hours of soccer, you know, kind of like the IMG model or some of the tennis academy models that we've had in other sports here in the U.S. So, you know, one thing in soccer is injuries, right? So especially in female athletes, but we also see a lot of injuries in male athletes, serious knee injuries. Of course, you have the bangs and sprains, but we see serious knee, almost not career ending, but definitely career altering injuries. What are you doing in your club as far as injury prevention? Yeah, so um, uh, that's a huge, um, uh, um, hugely important question and a difficult one to answer. And there is um, no one way of going about one um, answer is style of play matters. Um, in, in soccer, there's only three or four things you do. You get in position to receive the ball, you receive the ball cleanly, and then you have to make a decision. You either pass, you dribble, or you shoot. And the more quickly you can make that decision, the less likely you are to have a collision. So soccer is a um, contact sport, but if you play it decisively enough, there's very little in the way of collision. Sometimes it's unavoidable. So uh, the, the first aspect is style of play and avoiding unnecessary collision. So in the old model, um, the classic English model, it would be to boot the ball up from the keeper, boot it out wide to a fast uh, wing, and then that wing would then cross the ball back in the middle, and there'll be a collision of heads and bodies amongst the forward and the defenders trying to head that ball on. If you watch a team like Barcelona, who revolutionized world soccer, much the way my beloved Oregon Ducks revolutionized football, <laughs> it's a whole different type of play. It's a possession play. It is maintaining possession in triangle and diamond spaces, similar to Phil Jackson's triangle offense and basketball. It's always having two or three options when the ball is received. So that's number one. Number two is on the individual athlete. You know, um, the the listeners can't see this, but Derek can see this on my Zoom. And, you know, I'm, I'm in my gym at the house and I've transformed what I do a good deal from, you know, just strength to also mobility. What I didn't realize as an athlete growing up is 
mobility without strength and strength without mobility is incomplete. So when, when athletes um, get injured, they're doing more than their body is able to do. Oftentimes it may be because they're playing at a level that's beyond their capability and they're going hundred percent all the time, which is what you want to avoid. And oftentimes happens when freshmen and sophomores are starting to play with juniors and seniors in high school. So we, we place a big emphasis on mobility. Um, and especially for soccer players, something that I didn't realize I was woefully adept at is hip mobility. So we're trying to give them the, um, the language and the vocabulary and the knowledge of how your pelvis moves anterior pelvic tilt, uh, posterior pelvic tilt, and what you can do with your body as a result of that. So we emphasize mobility, which is a big part. Then of course, you know, once people are, are injured, we have a trainer uh, always there on, on site. And we we're fortunate enough to have trainers and, you know, there's a bunch of docs that are daddies out there usually. So once, once injured, we, you know, have adequate means to, to treat, but the big part is to, to prevent. And one other thing that, um, you know, Chip Kelly and the Ducks uh, brought into the world is using practice as your um, as your physical training. So we don't run sprints. We don't run laps. We, we have practices that are designed to keep you moving at all times. And then you're done after an hour and a half. Oftentimes what we did growing up as kids is we have two, three hour practices with an hour of it with, you know, calisthenics and running. And we don't do any of that. So the overuse aspects are trying to be mitigated by having smarter practices. And then that gets into the last piece of this is that um, I think really the underlying factor to youth injuries is overuse and uh, overdevelopment. You have to have recovery time. And we try to impart that on our, our kids um, by designing their, their schedules because it's, uh, you know, designed by one um, head of coaching. We, we try to design their tournaments, their, their practice schedules, such that they don't get overworked. And soccer is a year-round sport, and you, but you need to take some time away from this and do other things. So do you get a lot of pushback from parents that want their kid to be in your club, play on a high school team, play on another travel team? Do you see a lot of that? Yeah, of course. So um, especially for the older boys, I mean, playing for your uh, and girls, playing for your school team is a lot like playing for your national team. And yeah, we do it. But what we do during that time period is we shut the club down for those kids at that age. So for the high school age boys and girls, um, the club aspects effectively shut down and allow them to go play for their national team, which is, you know, Laurel High School or, you know, Haysburg High School or whatever. And so we try to mitigate it in, in that way. As far as playing for multiple clubs, we don't do that. Um, uh, it's really not feasible and uh, realistic. Of course, there's kind of um, ancillary things like the Olympic development program that typically occurs like in the summers and um, maybe you play a tournament here and there. And for, for the one-off um, that want to participate in those, we accommodate it. But the big design implement that we had is for the high school age kids, when they go to play high school, we shut the club down for them uh, from a competition standpoint. The ones that aren't playing high school ball can still come and train, but most of their peer age group are off playing high school ball. That's great because like you said, overuse, um, the number of exposures, plenty of research shows that the number of exposures that you have to injury directly correlates with injury. And, you know, a lot of times I see kids towards the end of the season, playoff time, that's when a lot of injuries happen because they've been playing all season, playing all summer, don't take any time off to cross train or do anything other than play one sport. Yeah. And, and you can imagine with um, 
the individual sports. Very famously, Rafael Nadal has one arm that's hugely overdeveloped um, versus the other arm. And because he wears sleeveless shirt, you can readily see that. And you can think about it in pitchers, obviously, and in soccer players. You know, you have these overdeveloped glutes and quads and 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 um and hams and you know um they really suffer in terms of mobility i mean to be honest eric i don't know when the last time was i touched my toes probably was seventh grade and that's not good for an athlete athletes need to have more mobility than that especially when you're sprinting full speed up and down a soccer field yeah well perfect well for someone who says man i want my kid to be involved in this program how do they find your program and how do they follow along with what you're doing yeah, so uh, websites, obviously, we have a website, there's social media, uh, I think there's a Facebook site, there's a, um, I think probably a Twitter, I, in fact, I'm sure there is. Um, and of course, the websites for Southern State Soccer, I think it's 3ssoccer.com. Uh, and then there's all levels, of course, you know, we have a, what we call a little kickers program, which is a rec, um, just introduce them to kicking the ball and having fun, all the way up to now we have a semi pro team. Um, we just um, had our first season of uh, third division division semi uh, pro league called the MPSL, the National Premier Soccer League. And this division, um, we chose purposefully for our club because it's for the collegiate athlete. Uh, what I mean by semi pro is um, we don't pay them so they can retain their college eligibility, but we cover their room and board, uh, much like um, colleges do. So um, for our graduates from the program that go off to play collegiate ball, this is a summer league. Um, we uh, won our league uh, this year and won the South Regional and went to the national quarterfinals and lost that in double overtime at the last minute, tragically, or else we'd be playing this weekend in the national semifinals. But it is all the way up to that level. And to just give you perspective, that team is filled with international and uh, collegiate players, including our homegrown players, Heath Flateau, who was the Mississippi player of the year last year at Sacred Heart and just finished his freshman year at UAB, played on the club, um, Bennett Gibson and Garrett Bell, and um, who just uh, also graduated from Sacred Heart, played at JC this year on the team. Uh, Noah Roblin, a recent graduate of Oak Grove High School in our club is on the team. And then we have, um, um, people from all over, including um, Danny Reynolds, who's uh, a graduate of uh, UNC Wilmington and was drafted second uh, round by the Seattle Sounders. And um, Julian uh, Villagood, who went to Seattle University as a Canadian, also was with the, with the Sounders. We have five kids who are originally from England, a kid from Senegal, a kid from Germany. Um, and, you know, it's really kind of a all over uh, from uh, schools at, like Michigan State, University of Wisconsin, the Cal State, N uh, Bakersfield and Northridge, um, Holy Cross, really all over the country. And it was uh, really exciting for our kids to be able to play at that highest level and have that resource right in our own backyard. When we were beating teams coming, like uh, we beat a team from uh, Naples, Florida, who won the Florida uh, division and they got through um, other Miami teams and they came up here to play us because we were the higher seed and we beat them five to one and just really smoked them. They're like, what in the, where, where is this place? I mean, it's Oak Grove, you, you know, there's no hotels nearby. How in the world are you guys doing this? So it, it's pretty unique. I'm, I'm really proud to be affiliated with it. And I think um, uh, more kids had this opportunity available to America would be more competitive on the international stage. Well, it's exciting to hear. And I like the fact that education seems to be the main principle that you guys are pushing. 
And, you know, like you said, this program has been built. I was doing some research built literally from the ground up. I saw where they started clearing all for fields, you know, five, six years ago. Now you have a, a lit stadium. So very impressive. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. My uh, oldest son was part of the first team and um, we were practicing on uh, uh, church fields and and uh, the Oak Grove band field. And, uh, you know, the parents would have to turn on the cars and light it up when it got dark. And it was really kind of um, and, and I honestly when my son um, decided to go this route. So we were playing up in Laurel and they made the age split such that we couldn't field uh, enough kids for my son's age group. So we came down to Hattiesburg and we went to both clubs, um, this new one and uh, Hattiesburg football club. And when we went to that for both tur- uh, tryouts, he made both teams and um, at Southern States, they told the parents, you know, this is our first year. We may not have enough kids to even field the team in your kid's age group. And I was like, okay, whatever. He left that tryout. My son then at that time was, um, I don't know, eight, nine years old. I said, well, what are you going to do? He goes, oh, I'm coming here, dad. I'm like, why? He goes, dad, you understand. This is just different. And that was his coach for the previous two years. He's like, dad, this is different. And he was so authoritative about it. I'm like, you know, you may not even have a team. He's like, dad, you you just don't understand. And he put it in those terms because I was his coach and he, understood right there that dad, you're not going to get this until you see this. So um, yeah, it was, it was a leap of faith, but uh, a good one and a good decision made by my eight-year-old. Right. So he said enough of this coach dad stuff. I want some real pros coaching me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And yeah, so uh, I was very quickly um, educated on the difference between an amateur and a professional coach. Sure, sure. Well, man, I'd love to come over and tour the facility and learn more about what you're doing. It sounds exciting, especially to be done right in our backyard here in Hattiesburg. Yeah, I'd love that. Anytime. Come on down. Let's go kick the ball around. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I got about one year of coaching experience. So if you're looking for anyone to add to your uh, soccer academy, I'm your man. I love it. All right. Have a good one, man. See you.